I'm Kaitel. And I'm Joe. And we're the United Mates. Back in our school days, a shared passion for football brought us together as best friends. Today, we're separated by an ocean. I live in our hometown, London. And these days, I live in LA. But we still enjoy nothing more than chatting about the beautiful game. So we started a podcast. Join us. A few more old mates from school here and there. And new friends too from the world of professional football and beyond. This is the United Mates Football Podcast. Hello, welcome and welcome back to the United Mates Football Podcast. This is one of your hosts, Kaitel, and as always joining me here in LA from back in our hometown of London is my co-host Joe. We do have a special guest for today's podcast. He's a striker whose senior playing career has lasted over 20 years. These days, he's scoring the goals for Muirkirk up in Scotland, where he's played for 11 different clubs. Earlier in his career, which began in France, where he grew up, he played top flight domestic football and represented his country at youth level before sealing a move to the English Premier League. He's also played in Cyprus and Thailand. And like I said, he's still playing. So who knows where he might end up next? We welcome Christian Nade to the United Mates Football Podcast. Christian, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us. And how are you doing, mate? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Fantastic. It's a pleasure, as I mentioned, to, to have you with us. Really looking forward to chatting with you. Um, you scored a, a memorable goal against uh, the team that I support. Uh, so we're definitely going to have to talk about that. I think Joe will probably be yeah, looking forward to, to hearing about that goal a bit more than me. Uh, but Joe, as we record, uh, Arsenal are four points and four places ahead of the team that you support, Spurs. Uh, but of course, you now have a new manager. So Joe, brief thoughts on Conte and how's it going, mate? I'm good, thanks, Kai. Yeah, happy we have Conte now. Um, the Nuno era wasn't so great, so happy that's come to an end. And uh, yeah, well, you know, it was a all right start yesterday against Everton, but definitely something to build on. So yeah, we'll 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 see um, we'll see how things go from there. But um, Christian, as Kai said, um, we are very happy that you're joining us. And whenever we have a guest on our podcast, we always start with an icebreaker question for them. Um, so look, Christian, we know that you um, you played for Hearts for a number of years, which is, of course, based in the city of Edinburgh in Scotland. And now Edinburgh is also famous for the Edinburgh Fringe, a sort of, you know, comedy yeah. festival. Um, so what we want to ask you is, um, for, I don't know, it could be one of your ex-colleagues um, or something like that. Who is the um, who is the funniest footballer you've ever come across? We'll, we'll let you think about it for some, some moments. So I'll just say that I think one of the funniest footballers that I can think of is probably um, it's probably actually Carl Walker from Man City at Tottenham. He used to be always on the videos doing all the the pranks, the Halloween pranks he did. So he was quite funny. But Kai, um, before we go to Christian, who would you say is a, a very funny footballer out there? Well, funnily enough, I the other day was randomly going through YouTube videos and saw that clip of Kyle Walker when he went on Britain's Got Talent, I guess, which I didn't realise was a thing. It's, it's actually quite cringy. Um, but apart from him, maybe... Jimmy Bullard, you know, he does his soccer AM thing now. Back in his playing days, he did the like the Phil Brown team talk uh, at Hull. And he did that one time thing for Wigan where he like jumped over a player like it was like a scrum for rugby, which was kind of weird. So, yeah, Jimmy. Um, but Christian, who's the funniest footballer that you know? I don't know. Actually, I'm, I'm surprised with Scott because when I was at Sheffield, um, he was obviously with the reserve team. 
and he's quite like well obviously on the pitch and and just in training he was very shy oh okay he was a very nice guy but not uh the funny the fair funny enough guy. <laughs> <laughs> surprised but i saw he has a video about um the voice or something um look i've got someone very funny was very funny uh it wasn't so much of a teammate or actually just for a very short time it was when i was playing for the front uh french team under 21 and I would say Patrice Evra is very funny. He's very funny. Yeah, yeah he is. <laughs> he is funny. His rants on Sky Sports when, when they get him in the studio are, are usually pretty good. And I love that he doesn't really care about upsetting anyone else, which, which is, is nice to see. Um, but I guess the, the one thing we know is that Kyle Walker is not, not the funniest footballer, apparently. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll bring things back to, to football. Um, we'll get on to Sheffield United soon. But um, taking things way back, Christian to your childhood and you know as a young boy growing up in France what was it that made you interested in football in the first place I know your older brother Raphael also went on to play at a pretty decent level at, at Troy and then he moved to England as well but was it his influence that made you interested in football or did you kind of have your own path well obviously you know I think a big brother playing football he already like um, helped you or actually lead you uh, towards there um so yeah, my brother was a big influence. My dad also being a coach uh, showed me the way. And also, there's a, I never said that, but you know, there was a cartoon uh, when I was young called uh, Captain Tubasa. Uh, it's a Japanese cartoon, and uh, and I loved it. I'm actually watching it now, <laughs> and uh, that honestly make me uh, love football even more. It's like kind of cartoon where the the football pitch lasts two episodes when just going through the uh, crossing the pitch. And, and I just love it. That's kind of things, you know, as uh, make me want to play football and, and try things. Now that makes sense. Sounds like um sounds like a, a great cartoon though. Well, Kai and I will have to um we'll have to check that out. <laughs> but um, that's an amazing cartoon. <laughs> no, we'll we'll definitely be looking that up after this. But um we just want to speak a bit about your time at Troy, which is obviously where you started your career. I know you made your debut for Troy at a very young age, um at, at 16, but kind of I guess in, in those early years at Troy, there were some really good players that played there, such as um Jerome Rotten, Bafatimbi Gomez even even went on loan there. And I know Blaise Matuidi um, sort of started his career there. So was it exciting when you were young to sort of play it at this team that clearly there were a lot of um, there were a lot of exciting talented players coming through how exciting was it for you growing up and playing for Troy first you need to know that in, in France at the, at the time uh, to to ask to just to have the chance to see the first team player it was actually a huge thing you like there were a big um, line I would say not to cross between um, the amateur and the professional. So you've got only one team. Obviously, the, the, the club is professional, but the, the real professional are the one who play for the first team. And you will never be in, in, a, in their company or something like that. So there's, being even training with them was something huge. Uh, at the time, yes, there were players like Jerome Roten. I think we just left. Um, they were just beat, the year before they beat uh, Newcastle in a cup called Intertoto at the time. Um, so it was, uh, um, this club was, uh, and is, it was, the way they were playing was um, uh, a beautiful game. In front, uh, they were famous for beautiful games. The way they play Man City pass, uh, pass the ball, that's the way uh, Troyes was famous for. 
And, uh, and when I've been lucky, it wasn't 16, but it was 17. When I've been lucky to be one of the first players of the academy uh, to be uh, to be like to be asked to go and the first player was called someone called Damien Perkis who were with me under 18 and now he's, he's becoming a coach so I was the second player who been asked to go with the first team it was a huge thing and I remember again when the coach told me I went to train with them and on the I think on the Wednesday I went back to with the reserve team like nothing happened and they say Christian you've got nothing to do here I said what do you mean I, I've been nice. I've been. <laughs> I was actually defending myself. I've done nothing wrong. I've been sleeping at the right time. I'm. I'm being said. No, no, no. It's nothing to do. You're going with the first team. I'm like, what do you mean? I say, yeah, you're going with the first team and you're playing um, with the first team in in Bastia. I'm like, no, you're joking. And then I went there and my name was on the on the list and and I took the plane with the boys and it was it was it was crazy. It was actually crazy. Me and another guy and couldn't just believe it was the bags. Uh, one of the best moments of my career. It sounds surreal um, as a young player getting to unexpectedly, I suppose, get called up to the first team and, and travel with the squad, um, as you mentioned. But another cool experience that you referenced was um, appearing at, for France at the youth level alongside some other good names like the comedian Patrice Evra, uh, Jeremy Mathieu was in that squad, Gal Givet yeah. and some others as well, like Ali Adier, Cinema Pongol, some, some more players. But what memory stands out to you from that France under-21 training camp, if you think back? And, and what was the standard of, of player like? Well, first first of all, when I went to the first 21, was, which was the thing was crazy, was I wasn't even professional at the time. So I was the only player of this team who were not professional yet. So when they, they, they found out that I wasn't professional because I was stupid enough to tell them, <laughs> it, was the, it was hard for me after that. They keep talking about it. I say, are you crazy? What are you doing here? Uh, you should sign, ask them for the much. It was actually Patrice Evra. Ask for so much money. Don't go there. I can introduce you to my agent. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just relax. So, and then when I went to the football pitch, is actually, you see the level change. You see the concentration of the boys. You see, it's not like the, the funny side anymore. It's actually real. And... Uh, you don't make any mistake. You, you're not allowed. You don't even try to... It goes so fast. And you see after the, the difference, then there's you and them. So you need, to catch, um, you need to catch them. And before the end of the week, I managed to do it and which give me the chance to play. But there's those guys, you can see, well, they were, most of them were playing for the first team where they were, they were playing. It's just crazy. You see the, the intensity, the concentration, the... The, the speed, even the way they think, is totally different to what I used to. I'm used to, even though we are the good team. But you can see then the level change. You know, when you play with players like I don't know, uh, yeah, Jeremy Jeremy Mathieu, who are doing, uh, who are playing for Sochaux at the time, his level of concentration for for a, for for a, a player from a, this young age is crazy. I was only 18. And me, what I was thinking is like, I'm having fun. I'm on the pitch. Obviously, I want to be. But those guys, but that's my life right here. It's not, it's not game. Uh, it's not a game. It's not just a game. So I'm. You're not here to disturb me. If you're not here to push me to get better, I don't want you here. So those guys take you under their wings, and then they shoot you away, and then you say, okay, I don't have the choice. I need to catch those guys. And the week I've been there, I learned so much about football. Then, uh, in a short space of time. Well, speaking of learning from others and kind of looking up to role models 
Um, did you, as a young French striker at the time, when you're kind of entering the youth setup, you know, France have recently won the World Cup in 98. They won the Euros in 2000 around that time. And there's players like Thierry Henry and David Trezeguet starting for the senior side. Did you feel pressure to live up to those types of expectations? Or did you feel like it was realistic to be able to follow in their footsteps? You don't feel the pressure because obviously those guys are elite, but you feel as a, a dream to achieve what they, they managed to achieve. You know, we know that in, in France, is um, the academy in France uh, uh, is a huge thing. And, you know, since I moved away from France and, and I realized how important it is and how many, how many good players there is actually, you know. Um, so, no, 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 you don't expect, you, you wish, you dream, but you don't try to uh, to uh, to reach the level. You will hope. It's not trying. You will hope. You will dream. You will work hard. But not achieving that level is not um, um, a bad thing because those guys actually the elite of football. And those players, those this team, there's no many players who reach their level. You know. So you see, Thierry Henry is one of the best of of all time. Zidane is the best of all time. Uh, Thuram, Dusay, all those players. It's going to be difficult. So you don't think, okay, I'm going. You want to, you wish to, you work for, but if you don't manage to reach the level, it's not. A, it's not a bad thing. You know, all you want to do is manage to 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 live from football, get a nice career, uh, uh, um, making your dream come true, and obviously winning the World Cup will be the absolute goal. But it's not everybody who win the World Cup, and you know, you know, at the youngest age, and I'm here, I'm lucky. I've been, in, you know, being in an academy in France. You may be like, I don't know, 200 players and there's only maybe five players who manage to be, to be professional. So you need to be very, very happy with that first. You've been, you've been selected, you've been uh, picked up out of 100 players, which is crazy. After when you're in a, national, in a French national team, you need to know that you're the best player in the full country. That's why I remember when I went to the French national team, that's why I realized at the time I was maybe except the one who was who starting the game, I'm in the top five players in the whole front. That's huge. So that was enough for me. I mean, like, like you were saying, you know, even to get to that level is, um, is so impressive in itself. But having, um, having had that taste of you know, French under-21 football, early in your career, when maybe it became apparent that playing for the, you know, the French national side was maybe going to be a bit too challenging, giving all those names we just mentioned and many more as well. Did you, did you ever consider the chance to perhaps represent another country like Ivory Coast or somewhere else? Where did that, did that ever cross your mind to try and play for someone like that? The thing is, um, I've been called up by Ivory national team in the same times, and I've been called up for the French national team. So the Ivory national team called me for the first team. The coach at the time was Robert Nuzari, called me to be in the first team, which I accepted. But like I said previously, I wasn't a professional yet. And unfortunately, my club, there were no player uh, issue from the, um, the academy in choice at the time, Trois at the time, who'd been in the national team. So they told me clearly, if I don't go with the French national team, they won't sign me professional. Oh wow! So, okay. so I didn't have the choice to go with the, uh, the French national team, which 
I'm not saying I'm regretting because it was a great experience, but obviously it would have been good to go with the first team playing the African Nation Cup with a, with Ivory Coast and and yeah. God, that's so interesting how um, how that worked out. Um, but you know, you still played for the French under twenty one team, so that yeah. is a great achievement in itself. But um, let's talk a bit about Sheffield United now, Christian. So um, you obviously signed for Sheffield United in the summer of two thousand and six, which was when they. Um, just before then, their first season back in the Premier League. They hadn't been in the Premier League for about 12 years at that point. Um, so I guess this was your first um, your first move over to Britain. So when were you first made aware of Sheffield United's interest in you? It was actually a weird, weird situation. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm talking a lot, but it's, it's everything happened. Basically, my career was very, very weird. So um, I was playing for France, end of contract. They offered me a, a three-year deal with one of the biggest salary of the club. And I declined it uh, because at the time, I had, um, uh, according to an agent, I've got uh, Marseille, Montpellier, a uh, few clubs were interested. Uh, they wanted me to go to Mont uh, Bordeaux because Darcheville was leaving. Uh, and they wanted me uh, as a second striker behind Chamac. Because we are, so I said, okay, I'm, I'm up for it. So when uh, Hearts um, Choice came to me and offered me the, the, the contract, I declined. Two days after, the agent for me and said, uh, those clubs have been called by someone and none of these clubs are interested anymore. So I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so I went back to Choice and I pretended, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to sign your contract. <laughs> and they told me, they told me, um, no, 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 it's not like that. Um, we want you to sign, but we're going to wait after the, um, the summer holiday. So, because we want you to stay fit during the, the summer. So I'm like, so you want me to go on holiday without any, um, any team? And say, yes, that's exactly. So we sure that you're going to be fit and you're going to work. And depend of, of, and depend of the way you're going to be during the preseason, we're going to see how much we're going to pay you. And I'm like, okay. So I went home, worked so hard, didn't go on holiday. And one day an agent phoned me and said, would you, be, would you come in England? And I said, yes, of course. And he said, uh, uh, okay, I phone you back. I'm like, okay. For me, a few days after, I remember I was playing football and he said, uh, there's a club in England who wants you. They're ready to sign you. Um, and I said, don't talk rubbish. And he said, um, I say, is that, uh, what, what division? He says, the Premier League club. I'm like, nah, forget about it. This is not true. Don't waste my time. I'm, I'm, I'm training right now. He said, okay, I'll phone you back. The coach is on holiday just now. So I'm just trying to, um, to sort everything out and I'll phone you back on Tuesday. On, on, um, on Friday, I don't, something like on Friday or something. And I said, okay, we'll see. Phone me back on Friday, telling me my ticket is on, um, I need to go to Charles de Gaulle. Uh, my ticket is for Tuesday um, and I, I've got my plane. I've got my flight. I said, okay, I'll be there. <laughs> On Tuesday, I said, no, I'm not going. I'm not going. My mom pushed me. I said, no, I'm not going. That's a lie. I don't want to waste my time. Just let me go. I'm going to train. She said, take your stuff. We are going to... Uh... No, first of all, sorry. Yeah, I didn't I still didn't know the name of the team, by the way. I think so. No, I knew it, I knew it was Sheffield. So I said, I'm not going. I'm not going, I don't want to go to the airport and say, get your stuff, let's go to the airport. So I went to the airport and the ticket was there. So I was very, very surprised. And I went uh, arriving Leeds 
and I waited for an hour and a half because the agent wasn't there. So I was, I saw it was a lie. I phoned my mom. I said, I told you I shouldn't have been here. You're wasting my time. I should be training. <laughs> I was very, very much, but I was very respectful on the phone because I knew I had to come back. Uh, then she phoned me. Um, and then the guy came pick me up. I remember I came pick me up with a small car and I'm like, oh, that's not really an agent car. That's not going to work. I, I don't, I don't see it happening. And then we arrived in, uh, in Sheffield, he put me in a hotel and the real agent came to see me in a hotel and say, look, what's going to happen? You're gonna go tomorrow, sign your contract, take some pictures, say hi to the, the, the coach. And that's it. I'm like, what? So I went to the, to the, to, um, to the Bramall Lane, met um, uh, Neil Warnock, give me the contract, put it on the table, signed. And he said, uh, see your prison. Went back and my, uh, hotel on the Wednesday and I think I, yeah I took the flight on Wednesday afternoon came back home and that was it that's a crazy story I think it's it's pretty funny that the whole time you're you're thinking it's kind of just some elaborate joke like I don't know if there's some prank show in France that they were trying to put you on but it all worked out for the best in the end and you know as I mentioned before we, we can't talk about your time at Sheffield United without talking about the the goal that you scored at Bramall Lane against Arsenal um, I remember watching the game at the time, you know, as an Arsenal fan, I was pretty gutted, but it was a really good goal. Uh, it was a bit of a crazy game as well, because it's the one where Phil Jagielka ends up going in goal because Paddy Kenny got an injury. So just a, a bizarre game in general. And I, I'm sure you get asked about this goal all the time. Um, so we're going to talk about it in a moment, but just on a slightly different note beforehand. Is it true that you ate McDonald's before the game because you thought that you weren't playing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what you ordered? From McDonald's, Big Mac meal, Big Mac meal. Apparently, that's good. What it takes to to score a goal against Arsenal. But on, on the goal, like I said, genuinely, it was a great goal. You sort of outstrength Colo Torre, and then the finish past uh, Jens Lehmann is really composed and clinical. But yeah. about the way that you you get the ball past Torre, are are you familiar with the Bergkamp goal against Newcastle, Christian? Yeah. Okay, so in this situation, I guess you're you're sort of like Dennis Bergkamp. Colo Torre is. Nikos Davizas, Alan Quinn is Robert Perez, and Jens Lehmann is, is Shea Given. Uh, but, but anyway, the point I'm trying to get towards is, did you mean to let the ball go through your legs like that and kind of bump Torre and get the ball around him? Because it, it was pretty impressive, but in the moment, it all happened very quickly. But was, was that your plan in the moment? Was that how you planned to get the ball past Torre? Yeah, because um, what happened is actually, I think five minutes before, actually, um, I received the ball in my feet in the same position, actually at the same place. And he tried to anticipate. And when he tried to anticipate, I managed to roll him with my body and turn. And I passed the ball to uh, uh, Kazim Richard at the time, and he was offside. So when the ball arrived, I said, OK, he's going to, he knows, and if I, I, he, he come again, I'll be able to roll him. So he's going to wait and try to just follow me. So when the ball arrived, my, and that's the thing, is that's something that my brother, Rafael, used to do all the time when we were young. So when I saw the ball coming, I said, this time I'm going to do it. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, w I wish you didn't do it, but you, you did it well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Tottenham fan, and I can remember that that goal very fondly. Um, yeah. Do you know what? Um, my first game, I think, as a, um, it was against Tottenham. Oh, White Hart Lane. I, I was at yes, that game. Yes, and that's actually, the true story. Yeah, yeah I, I think I was at that. I think we won. Berbatov scored in his debut, if I remember correctly, um, for Spurs. Um, they, there was one of my favorite players, uh, David, uh, what's his name? Edgar Davids? Um, Davids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. 
and you know what? Maybe something you missed, and I, I threw up on the pitch. Oh, really? I, I, I don't remember that part. <laughs> God. I threw up on the pitch because I was so, I was so pressure. Oh, God. Wow. I was, and I, I remember I was in the corner, I was between two players. I managed to dribble the player, and I passed the ball to a sink queen, and I missed it. And then there's a counter-attack. And then it started to go crazy, and I started to panic, and I started to throw up. Oh, God. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what a yeah! What a memory from your from your your debut at White Hart Lane. But um, that's um, <laughs> that's a very very funny story. But um, that's um, look that season, Christian, um, Sheffield United would ultimately get relegated. But the big story from that season it was well, West Ham obviously bought Tevez and Mascarano, and it looked like they were going to get a points deduction. They didn't, and ultimately Sheffield United went down instead of West Ham had that points deduction happen. So what were your memories of that whole kind of West Ham, Tevez, Mascarano incident? And was it something that the Sheffield United players were discussing at the time? Did you did you kind of talk about the whole Mascarano, Tevez thing back when it was happening? Obviously, you know, as a player, you won't, you won't talk about this. You know, we, we went down at the last, uh, last, last day, so... We didn't really talk about this. We were gutted because we had the future of the club in our hands. So it was up to us. Obviously, after the coach, I think the club, I think, sue, sue someone or something for, for what happened. It was very dodgy. Not gonna lie, it was, it was very dodgy what happened. But um, yeah, we, we didn't really talk about it. Um, but we knew what was happening. You know, but like I say, we had everything in between our hands. And we, we will have, I think the last game was against, uh, what, what was it? I don't remember. Uh, Wigan, I think. Wigan Athletic, yeah. Wigan. We would draw, we'll we'll be up, we will win, we'll be up. And unfortunately for us, um, we considered the goal by players and who are playing with us at the beginning of the season. Unsworth, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, that was very, very painful. But like I say, we had, it was weird because as soon as they scored, they put Emil Eski in the back. And that was like, that was it. Couldn't move. It was everywhere. Uh, it, it was a difficult game. Honestly, it was difficult for the fans, for them, but it was very, very hard for the players. I remember that game, we were already <laughs> discussing the, the bonus because obviously staying in Premiership, we will have a bonus. So players think, oh, if, we, if you score and you get the bonus, I will give you my bonus, but we need to win. We need to win. So everybody was very motivated and excited. And obviously when this happened, there was no noise in the dressing room. Yeah, it's a shame how it ended, especially as Joe was talking about, given the controversy surrounding sort of West Ham that season as well. And it was an exciting day. I think, was it John Stead maybe scored the goal for Sheffield United on that day and almost got like knocked out at the same time or something like that. But um, moving on from Sheffield United, after some serious interest from Hull, you would move to Heart of Midl- Midlothian or Hearts, as, as they're more commonly known. That's where you would spend the next three seasons. You'd play more games for them than you would at any other club that you played for throughout your career. And at this point, you've lived in Scotland now for about 10 years on and off with a bit of a break in between. Was there something special about the time living in Edinburgh and playing for Hearts that made you want to settle down in Scotland? Well, when I moved to Scotland first, all I wasn't meant to stay. I was meant to stay only six months because um, I was meant to join uh, Crystal Palace. Um, with uh, Neil Warnock was time went to, to Crystal Palace so as soon as he got the club he contacted me and made an offer for me to join Crystal Palace which I wanted to 
uh, house uh, made it hard for me and at the end I couldn't go. So he made an offer every six months until uh, he left the club or he'd been sacked, I don't remember. Uh, at the end of the year, it's been very, very weird because something happened in the dressing room. Uh, I had already signed a new contract. Uh, but because of the things that happened in the dressing room, they tried to make the contract um, lower, which I didn't accept. And because of that, I had to leave the club. But I had, um, I had a great time in, in Hearts. And, and you know, when I, when I left Hearts and I went to, uh, to Cyprus, I was still hurt by what happened to Hearts. So I wasn't very focused about football or anything. I just wanted to uh, go away from all the pressures that I had when I was in Talon and just rest. So I stayed six months there. But Art, um, Edinburgh is, a, is an amazing city. Um, I had great fun there. Despite and I wanted to leave, um, I had great fun there. Like, like you say, it's a, the team where I play the most games. Um, and, and I love this team. I love this team. This club, actually. You said about the move to Larnaca, it came at kind of like a, a difficult time for you in your career um, after the, the contract issues with, with Hearts and, and getting released. After the short time that you spent in, in Cyprus, um, you would move to Thailand and you'd spend, I think, maybe three seasons there playing for a couple of different teams. What was the football culture like in these places and, and how did the time that you spent in Cyprus and Thailand impact your performance on the pitch as, as well as your life outside of football. Um, I'll, pray, I'll break that down because I asked you a few questions, but I guess the first one was the, the football culture in Cyprus and Thailand. It's very, it's very different, you know, it's very different than here. Obviously, they were developing football, even though they were good, but they were still developing football. So it was, it was very, there it was, um, I need to be, be careful of the word I'm going to use. Um, it was very intense. The, the, the level was very intense for the first half, maybe 50, 60 minutes, and then he would just die. Because when they eat, but because they would give everything, you know, they wouldn't manage the game the way in Europe would manage the game to be able to last 90 minutes. So every player would be running like crazy. And after 60 minutes, you will see only the foreigners because every team were allowed uh, five foreigners in every game or three foreigners, I don't remember exactly. And now you will see the foreigner actually taking place and being um, much better than the, 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 the Thai player because they will all be tired. So that's the, the only difference. After, obviously, um, there was some, uh, the heat was, was very, it was so hot. It was very hot. I remember one day we were playing at 45 degrees. And after two minutes, literally two minutes, I asked the coach to take me off because I couldn't breathe anymore. And he said, yes, yes, give me five minutes. Give me five minutes. And I played 90 minutes. <laughs> but I didn't move from the, the middle at all. I couldn't run. And I gave an assist at the last minute. Um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, despite that, no, I, I had a great time over there. It was, it was nice. The only thing is I was, I was alone. I was alone, and, and that's why it was, it was difficult for me. And that's why I really wanted to come back in Europe. But um, now I wish I would have stayed. Uh, if I was with the right person, if I had uh, uh, my partner at the time, my partner now with uh, at the time there, I would have definitely stayed there. It was it was a great life, uh, good money, um, uh, and there's so much to do. Well, I think earlier on in the the beginning of the question, there were a couple other points that that I touched upon, and you you sort of started to to talk about them yourself um, about kind of the level of the the play in those places. You talk about the heat being uh, something that affected the, the performance of the players a lot. But 
for you in terms of your rise at uh, Troyes, moving to Sheffield United, playing a lot of football at Hearts, where did you feel like your level was um, playing out in Cyprus and, and in Thailand? Did you feel kind of head and shoulders above the players that you played alongside, minus maybe some of the fitness? Um, or did you feel like your game was suffering because you weren't playing in, in Europe? I would say um, both. What, what happened is I've, I've got problem in, in my game is I'm adapting to the the the, the club or the, the country I'm playing. So as an example, if obviously not now, but five years ago, six years ago, would have put me with, um, I don't know, Stock City. I will play at the same level as the player Stock City. I won't be low, I won't be up, but I will manage to adapt. If after that, you put, will put me with... Um, uh, a team who play like in the bottom division, I will be very good. I will be above them for the first few months, and then I will just go like this. That, that's where I'm. So I'm, I'm unfortunately, I'm, I'm a kind of player. If the level is here, I will just reach, and if it's here, I will come down slowly, slowly, slowly. And that's what happened when I first moved in Scotland. Uh, in Thailand, honestly, it was very easy. I could play any position. I could walk, and then it start to get harder and harder because also you no know, try to motivate yourself. When you want to play a one-two, there's a one, but there's not a two. Um, when you try to make the runs, and normally someone will find you with the eyes closed, the one the ball will, wouldn't come. So you start to avoid making these runs, stop making the run because you know the, the ball won't come. You stop running in the box because you know the cross won't come. And then you start you start to see yourself in the same levels and them. Uh, there's games obviously where you can you manage to go above, but there's no game where you go under. That was my only problem, I think, through my career. But there, it was, it was big. Like, the first few months, honestly, it was very easy. And then I started to be used to it. And then the motivation disappeared. And I was at the same. It's interesting because when we were speaking about the... Or you were talking about playing with the France under-21 side and talking about needing people to push you and motivate you. And if they weren't pushing you in the right de direction, then, you you know, you don't really need their company. So... Yeah clearly a, a big factor that that motivation and, and being pushed the you know every every game every training session and if if the playing level around you isn't at the top level then it doesn't push you but on I guess where your career was at at that point and your personal life too you mentioned it being difficult being being by yourself was was that kind of a, a, a pretty tough time for you uh, in the midst of your football career being by yourself being maybe where you would never have imagined yourself playing in, in Cyprus or in the far east of Asia when you when you were a young aspiring footballer, did did you ever kind of look in the mirror and think, you know, what's going to happen to my career? Sort of, how, how did I get here? That's, that's, you you actually resumed it. Like um, I remember one day my brother came to see me in Thailand and he came and he uh, he saw I was training and he was like, it's weird, you've got nothing to do here. Like I saw you when you were playing for, 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 for at the beginning, when you were playing at Troyes, when you were playing for, for Sheffield, when you were playing for Hart, and now I see you in Thailand. You've got nothing to do here. And even when I see you in training, you've got nothing to do here. And that, that hurt me so much. I was already hurt and I knew myself and I shouldn't be here. But that hurt me so much. And I, and I, and I remember I said, I need to come back. And I'm going to make a good comeback. I'm going to try to come back in Europe because I remember someone told me that they never a player went to manage to go to this kind of country and come back and play at the top division in Europe um, um, championship. And I said, okay, I'm going to do everything to come back. And, and I managed to.
Yeah, you certainly did because you would um, you'd sign for Dundee um, in 2014, and Dundee would go up um, to the Premier League. You'd get promotion, and you'd actually score in the, on the final day of the season in the game that would um, clinch the promotion. So, like you said, I'm sure it was immensely satisfying to come back to Scotland and you know achieve promotion with Dundee. But what what was it about that Dundee team that you joined that kind of what were their key qualities that sort of resulted in them achieving that promotion? Dundee was very weird because uh, before to join Dundee, I wanted to stop football. Um, because when I left Thailand, um, I had a surgery on my knee and the the, the, um, the surgeon told me I've got to have seven, eight months without touching the ball or do anything. So I came back and I was um, helping uh, one of my friends who were coach and he's five. But I, I wasn't able to train or anything. And at some point, I just was fed up and I said, I'm going back to France and I'm going to stop playing and I'm going to find a job and, and that's it. So I actually left. I went back home to France and someone phoned me and said, oh, this club want to see you. Uh, so coach really wants you to come. And I said, I haven't played for seven months, eight months. I haven't touched the ball. So no, I'm not coming back. Say yeah, but they want to see you and try. Come back, come back. I said, no, I haven't touched the ball. My knee is still swollen. I'm not going to come back. And say, please come back. And I said, okay. So my mom, actually, my mom forced me and I went back and um, and I went on trial and and I've done well. But after every training session, I would have to ice my knee because we were training on Astro and my uh, so much fluid on my knee. It was it was awful. Um, but I wouldn't. I wasn't telling the physio there. Then obviously my knee was was very bad. And uh, and I remember because I'm a Christian and I was playing. I said, God. Please bring me back in, in, in Europe, bring my in Scotland, and I want to play in the first division. And I will do that. Like it was like, you know. And and he respected the deal. I didn't, but he respected the deal, brought me back in Scotland. We won the league. And it was me normally back in, in the Premier League. Sounds like um your mom also had a, a big role to to play in in kind of giving you a nudge and forcing you to to go along to these moves. Like she should have picked up an agent's fee for the Sheffield United move and the, the Dundee move, getting you on she the did. plane. She did. Yeah. <laughs> um. So after after Dundee, you, you would be playing for Wraith Rovers uh, in in Scotland still. And uh, besides the the goal that we talked about earlier against Arsenal, you, you'd score quite another momentous goal in your career. And it was in the Scottish Cup fifth round back in 2015. It was Wraith's first away win uh, against Rangers since 1959 at the time. So we, we've asked you about the Arsenal goal, but how did this goal compare and, and what did it mean to the club and, and, and the fans? Um, I guess, obviously, it must have been nice for Sheffield United to, to get a winner against Arsenal in the Premier League. But, but yeah, how, how was this different? Well, in um, Sheffield, it was different because it was my first goal in England. It was my first goal for Sheffield. And it wasn't a, 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 a bad goal either. And we won. So, obviously, this one's much, much better for me. But the thing, uh, like you said, Rest uh, Rover never, never beat, let's say, never um, beat uh, Rangers in the modern days. Um, in Ibrox, uh, it was a cup game. Uh, we were so underdogs. It was it was crazy. Never people would expect us even to score a goal there, uh, more or less too. Uh, and and we've done the job. And it's not just score. We played very well. We dominated the game, and we deserve to win. So and me scoring that goal was just um, 
the cherry on top. You know, it was it was just nice. The fans loved it. The player loved it. Even the, everybody was. We knew that we could do it, but we surprised. Uh, we were very surprised as well. And I think I read somewhere that the favorite goal that you've scored is actually a goal that's not not either of these goals. I think it was a goal that you scored maybe while you were in France. Um, and it was because your father was in the in the crowd and he was able to to watch you. Yeah, it was my my, my first goal uh, because it's it's, a, it's very long story about this goal. It's come from I was playing for Choice and and I was playing. I was one of the best uh, goal striker in France at the time for under seventeen. And I'm on, normally from under seventeen, you you go to the reserve team. But what happened? They made a new a new division called uh, under eighteen. So all the team from the under seventeen went. In a first, in a in a reserve team, except two players, me and another guy, and we went with under 18. We were training with a reserve team, but playing with under 18. And I was so hurt because I worked so hard the season before and I've done so well. And the coach did never give me a reason why I was wasn't playing with the reserve team. And I remember I told my dad that you will see I will play for the first team before the end of the season. And I wasn't even playing for the reserve team. And uh, and I've done like since the last five games I've been called up because <laughs> five or six strikers was injured, so he didn't have the choice but to call me with the first the uh, reserve team, and I scored two goals that game. We drew two two. So the game after we we won, we drew one one, and I came on at the 90th minute and I scored the 91st, and then that's when I've been called up with the first team two weeks after. And then after my game, my, my dad never seen me play with the first team and he came against Nantes, which was the last game of the season. And I scored my first goal. And I saw him crying on the, on the stand, which were like 25, I don't know how many people were there. And I saw him crying and I was like, oh my God. Because I told him then you will see, I will be playing. And I remember my dad wrote, well, I didn't know at the time, but he wrote it, the date and everything when I say that. And he showed it to me after. It's a collector's <laughs> item at this point, yeah. Well, it doesn't exist anymore, but <laughs> oh, yeah. Great. So, um, look, you were just telling us, Christian, about um, that goal you scored for Troyes, obviously, and with your dad being there. It was clearly a very special moment. And, yeah, the circumstances leading up to it were, um, were amazing. But, um, look, you played at, you played in Liga, you played in the Premier League, you played in the SPL. But these days, obviously, you're playing in um, the lower leagues of Scottish football. Um, which is, of course, very different, um, very different sort of level to where you used to play. But what what I'm what I'm interested in in these kind of I suppose latter stages of your career is there anything about playing at this current level of football which is actually more enjoyable to when um, you were playing um, at you know in the in those the, the top flight I suppose. Honestly, it's, it's very different, and 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 I love that players don't know they're, they're working all day. They're working all day, they're tired, they do whatever, and then they come for fun. They come to having fun. They come to because they want to, not because of the money, not because of the fame, but they come because they love the game. You know, at some point when you play football, there's the money involved, there's the agent involved, there's the fame involved, and it's not becoming, sometimes it's not becoming like a, uh, the games that you used to love, but it's becoming business. And when you, um, when you play at the level, lower level, realizing that's what that's where I started so that's why I love all those players who are here as a player who love the games they don't do that for fame. like people will come and we talk about football oh look at this team oh I'm fan of Rangers I'm I'm a Celtic fan I'm a Hearts fan and some people say oh we used to watch you play I can't believe you're playing with me 
that's those people who love football more than actually the footballer. Yeah, you're certainly right. I mean, I'm, I mean, <laughs> I haven't played non-league football, but you know that's why we do the podcast. We love the game, and it's great to um, great yeah. to speak to people like you. And I'm sure your teammates, yeah, enjoy playing with you too. But um, that is all we um have time for today, Christian. Um, I want to thank my co-host Kaitel first, and then obviously a very big thank you to you, Christian. We've um really enjoyed having you as a guest, and for our listeners of the show, how can they best follow you, Christian, and everything that you're up to? I'm not. I'm not a big uh, social media thing. You know, I, I do my thing. I'm trying to be. Um, I'm gonna some things that I never thought I would do, but I'm, I love. Um, you know, the fact that I've been playing, I've been able to play, play in different leagues in different countries, make it so uh, valuable and so. Um, I feel rich just because of that. You know, and and I think I've got so much to give, and and I think I'm, I want to become. Um, uh, a coach so I'm going to try to become a coach and also uh, helping a young player to develop their talent and maybe even being agent if I can at some point but I just want to be in a, stay in a, in a sport environment because I just I just love it you know I can say that uh, certainly yeah for myself and I'm sure for Joe as well we both feel richer for having had this conversation with you and I think you'd make an excellent coach or an agent given your experience um, and your professionalism as, as, as well so good luck with that if that is what you end up pursuing good luck playing at the minute for your current side Mirkirk, uh, as well when you said uh, you were describing your potential next step as unexpected and saying that you weren't much of a social media guy I thought you were about to say you're gonna jump onto TikTok but I'm glad to hear that it's just just coaching or being an agent that, that you're uh, you're pursuing otherwise um, but to our listeners if you enjoyed this interviews please do follow us wherever you like to stream your podcasts, just look for United Mates Football Podcast. You can find us the same way on YouTube if you feel like putting any faces to the voices. Please subscribe while you're at it. On Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, we are at United Mates FP. So give us a follow there. And then for all of the content I mentioned and more in one place, visit the website, unitedmatesfp.com. Thanks again, Christian. Until next time, everyone, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Goodbye.